You're listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association, where we discuss the latest market trends in outdoor recreation. And now, here are your hosts, Kelly Davis and Patrick Hogan. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Inside the Outdoors. I'm your host, Patrick Hogan. In this episode, Kelly and I discuss one of the most important questions in the outdoor recreation research space. How many people are participating in an activity? This deep dive on methodologies gets extra nerdy as we weigh different methods of measuring participation, as well as the strengths and limitations of each methodology. How can we preserve historic trends while using the most appropriate methodology? What does the future of participation research look like? Let's get into it. The Fish and Wildlife Survey, done once every five years, they're getting ready to publish it again. So I was was deep into the 2016 survey results, and I was looking at their methodology, and it says this. The 2016 survey's questions and methodology were similar to those used in the 2011, 2006, 2001, 1996, and 1991 surveys. Therefore, the estimates are comparable. I don't know about all that, right? So the next next paragraph says this. The methodology for these surveys differs significantly from the 1955 to 1985 surveys, so these estimates Mm -hmm. are not directly comparable to those of earlier surveys. Changes in methodology included reducing the recall period over which respondents had to report their activities and expenditures. Previous surveys used a 12-month recall period, which resulted in greater reporting bias. Research found that the amount of activity and expenditures reporting in a 12-month recall surveys were overestimating. There were an overestimation in comparison with that reported using shorter recall periods. Okay. First of all, I don't, it, it's weird that they put those two paragraphs together to me. It's weird. Um, yeah, it, it is a little bit funny. But, and, their, and their, their methodology did shift between 1991 and 2016 in terms of, you know, was it, was it a direct mail survey? Was it call-in? How are they sampling? I have problems with this particular statement about methodology. I'm not, I'm not sure I have a huge problem with their, with their overall method, but comparability is an issue here for sure. And I'm, I'm super interested in what, in seeing what they come out with in 2022, that's going to differ significantly from 2016 because of the shifts in methodology they had to make where, you know, Mm -hmm. they went from basically like direct mail call, I mean, mixed mode, to, and they're still trying to do that, but mostly they're doing online screen and they're doing online screen for over 22,000 survey takers and then doing specific deep dive interview methodology for to collect, you know, the more qualitative data on spend and behaviors and, and habits. Um, in our survey, you know, we've got a, we, we survey with a panel, which, yeah, research has showed that, that people that participate in online survey panels tend to be um, more liberal or more left-leaning and tend to be more female than male, which presents problems that we can deal with, with yeah. weighting schemas. And, and, but we've got we've to have a really clear understanding of what we're dealing with in terms of oversampling, undersampling, um, looking at cohorts with very high participation rates versus cohorts with low participation rates and making sure that we're sampling in both of those areas so that we can get an accurate view of what's going on across the United States and within states and frankly, mm-hmm. within local areas. So I get asked about yeah. local areas so much. Yeah. It, I mean, all of the data that we have are at the the national level. Every yeah. once in a while we plug in with a state that's got some state level stuff because there's, there's a really motivated uh, grassroots organization there that's doing some great work or like every, every once in a blue moon, a, a city or municipality will have 
some super localized stuff, but it's it's tough to get down to that level. It, it would be so helpful <laughs> if we could, because there's so many other organizations that don't have resources that could use that information to like benchmark success when they have infrastructure projects or when they have policies or legislation at, at that city or state level that's that's going through to try and foster the growth of an activity. It's hard to say that something was successful. And you're like, whatever, correlation, causation, all this stuff. But um, it's hard to say if a program is successful if you don't know where you started and you don't know where you are now after the intervention. Um, yeah, that that measurement's critical at all levels, but it would be so helpful to have it at, at state levels. I think, especially with guns, this is super important right now because yeah. there's there's so much going on um, in, in that particular sphere. Um, what are people doing with guns? A lot of people are buying guns for the first time, that's clear. From mm-hmm. the from sales data, that's that's you know we don't necessarily need to do a self report survey to know that people are buying guns. Yeah. What I'm what I'm really interested in is how they're using them, how they're learning how to use them, how they're learning how to store and and maintain their guns, and you know what we can expect from that. And I would and I think that that um, various various people at the Coalition for Hunting and Shooting Sports and in in the more firearm related yeah. areas are, are foundation. Yeah. very interested and, and are, are keen to know how many people are buying guns and not learning how to use them safely. Maybe it's worth pointing out that we're approaching this problem from an outdoor rec point of view. And this is all about like target shooting and, and recreational shooting and that sort of stuff. Yeah, that that's tough. I consulted in that industry for, for, you know, years and years. And um, you want to talk about biases where, we think that those who are more likely to answer surveys are more likely to be female or more likely to lean one way. It, I, th- I think we can all imagine, like, you know, if, if I'm buying a gun, I, I don't want someone asking me a bunch of questions about it. And I don't really feel great about um, sharing a whole lot of information like that. Yeah, that, that feels kind of funny. Like, you know, registering it through whatever um, agencies is necessary for me to be within, uh, like, the legal terms. Like, yeah, I I, I can buy that. But there are a lot of firearm owners and purchasers who are reluctant to share information in a survey, and it makes it hard to measure. It does. And I mean, that's not just a problem with guns. That's a problem with a lot of different surveys in which we're surveying on behavior that either if you if you say that you're participating in the behavior, you, your, your heuristics tell you that you're going to gain status with the person mm-hmm. asking you questions. So, and that's very true of outdoor. I mean, we see overestimations. And I just yeah. read that methodology statement that talked about overestimations. Yeah. Um, underestimations are 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 also an, an issue. But what I'm what I'm what I'm searching for is sort of the truth of of the various demographics. So we need to look across 51 different activities. And we're talking about bike, we're talking about adventure racing, we're talking about mm-hmm. hiking, climbing, canoeing, and shooting sports and hunting. And my 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 goal is to get the most accurate data we possibly can at yeah. the national level and it, it, you know it's going to be it's it's because it's broad you know it's it's not going to be as useful at the local level i mean it tells us about our market it's you know we i think we have fairly a fairly consistent data set in the sense that we're you know it's comparable and we understand mm-hmm. the methodology what I th- what I think we need we owe our clients is a is a deeper look into the dynamic nature of social change and what that means for reporting on a variety of activities that include things like shooting sports and things like wildlife viewing and walking for yeah. fitness. Yeah, I, I was going to say something like that, but I'm glad you said it first because you said it better. That we owe our clients 
a detailed explanation of, of why we are where we are and, and the difficulty with which we find measuring all of these participation rates, you know, like it's, um, it's tough to do. And it's tough. Like I get calls every once in a while to take an online survey or, or a, a phone survey or something. And I don't have 10 to 15 minutes. And so I, I don't, but other people do. And there's biases that are emerging as technology is like reshaping how we spend our day to day. And as, um, you know, there's more of a conversation about staying away from or like limiting screen time. I'm, I'm probably going to be less likely to do something for fun on my screen and like end up taking a survey online. Um, but all of that affects our ability to accurately measure what's happening in outdoor rec right now. Yeah, it does affect us. And I, I think I'm going to start an XPRIZE, a research XPRIZE for a young creative mind or an old creative mind. I don't care. Creative <laughs> mind. I'll take whatever creative mind can come up with this answer. I don't care if it's a goat or a dog or a person or whatever. Yeah. We need to, I think we need to start thinking about how we're going to do, how we're going to accurately measure participation in the future. And I want to make this clear. I'm not saying that survey results are are bogus. Oh, yeah, um, no, not at all. Yeah. There's, there's so much behind-the-scenes work that goes into presenting data that it, that is as unbiased, as, as scrubbed of bias as possible. And I I think, Patrick, you would agree that, you know, many of us in research, that's, that's our passion. I mean, we're just searching for what's actually happening. We really yeah. want to know. We're genuinely curious about what's actually happening. And I mean, it's important to get because, you know, we look at trends and we look at where we need to be in the future. And that that is the data that we use to, to tell us, you know, here's what's going on in, in this category. Here's what's going on in the industry. Here's how many people participate. You know, mm-hmm. this, this is basically your hegemony. I mean, we've got 55% of America participating in outdoor. Now, I yeah. want to make sure that that number is real. I think that number might be low. But the data, I, the way we come up with that data, I think, is absolutely legitimate and is a good methodology that gives us margins of error that are reasonable, even, even yeah. in smaller activities, right? Even in, in yeah, activities yeah. like cross-country ski and adventure racing, I think that we've got reliable results in the sense that they're consistent. Whether or not we're absolutely getting, nailing the number of people that are participating in that is, is where I'm starting to get a little bit worried. And, you know, a lot of that has mm-hmm. to do with, okay, so we need to really think about how we sample. We really need to think um, in, a, in a very clear and objective way about what biases might affect um, the responses in a way that makes it less consistent, less accurate. Yeah. And figure out ways to, to you know, there are mathematical ways to deal with that and there's sampling, there's sampling strategies mm-hmm. that we can use to deal with that. But what I want to make clear is this is that it's not often that I speak like this in a public forum because a lot of people just, they don't understand what I'm talking about and they think I'm full of shit because I'm th- saying <laughs> they don't understand. They might, they might be right. I mean, but I'm full of shit in a way that's defensible. And I, and I, I just, it's I just, beautiful. I want people, I want everybody to know how much, you know, we think about this, how much yeah. we focus on this and trying to get accurate participation data. And I, I couldn't agree with you more about state level. And as yeah. the as the as Oryx, you know, are we've got I believe twenty one Oryx now, so outdoor state recreation offices, mm-hmm. um, and we've got the confluence. So we're we're seeing a you know an increase in the number of offices that in in states that are dealing with yeah. with outdoor recreation. And I'm thinking maybe maybe you know we start to talk to them about state level participation 
and and how to get that as they create their scorps, which is their five year their five year report to get their funding for after rec from the federal government. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think this is a good time to really start, you know, to look at the way our society has changed and to look at the our sampling methodology and our weighting methodology and really consider it category by category by category. I think I think it's time for an audit. Oh man, that's heavy. <laughs> but but I think it's, you know, that's totally reasonable. Um, I want to circle back to something you said a, a few minutes ago now about trends and I want to talk about how our desire to draw trend lines might keep us within a certain methodology um, beyond that methodology's like peak usefulness, you know? Agreed. Yeah. So t- tell I me mean, how you do it. Tell me how you do it and I'll tell you how I do it. It's like, <laughs> well, it, it's like a bad game of I'll show you mine if you show me yours. I, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's tough. Like any, anytime you have a, a, study, right? So like, we'll, we'll move away from service. But anytime you have a study that's been run for X years in advance of, of your like, X years prior, if you change something major about the methodology, all of a sudden you can't compare your current results to your past results to determine a trend line. And it's, um, it's, it's really like, you have to run this cost benefit every year of, I think we need to change something. Let's make a tiny little tweak and maybe we can keep rocking this for a little bit longer and a little bit longer, but that benefit cost at some point is going to flip and you go, it's, it's not working anymore. We need to, you know, like you started by reading off the U S fish and wildlife service work with the census bureau. And, and they said, these numbers aren't comparable to the 1950s. I think it was because something, oh, it, was a, it was a whole bunch of years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cause, cause we changed the way we did it and we introduced yeah. different biases and like, it's not, it's not to say that, any particular methodology is unbiased because that's absolutely not the case. There's biases in every study, right? But as long as we, the unknowns are known, right? Like we, the biases are constant. It, so to say, like we can compare year over year, um, but it's, it, it's tough to see like too far into the future, how, how a product is going to grow and change with the times. If, if we're sort of like boxed into a particular methodology, because we want to trend against past data. Yeah, so no doubt. What's your, I, you've I, been working in outdoor longer than me. Tell me what your experience is. I mean, I've, I went through the pain. So I was at the table when we created the, the Physical Activity Council. I was there. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was OIA, it was SIA, it was SFIA. I mean, we were a core group that, that discussed why we were doing this and what we expected from it. But listen, that was, that was 16 years ago. And yeah. you know, I, we've, I think, yes, you've got you've to make sure that you've got comparability. And it does give me heartburn to think, you know, oh my God, if we, if we switch methods, then, you know, I'm, I'm basically, I'm, I'm out of trend data for yeah. three years. So, I mean, sometimes, you know, what you do is you, you actually have to overlap your studies, right. With different methodologies so that one, you can compare and, and, you know, do some testing and, and see if you're really getting a more accurate result or what you, what you perceive as an accurate result and mathematically prove that. Right. But it hurts. 2007 was <laughs> 2007, 2008 sucked for me at snow sports because we did not have um, comparable data. I was still using national sporting National Sporting Goods Association data mm-hmm. in 2009, even though we had started the Physical Activity Council study in in 2007. So I know what I'm in for if we just if we determine that that this is not the the most the most effective methodology and I, I don't think we're there yet but what yeah. I'm saying what I'm saying is there's enough 
there's enough change socially and technologically um, that it's time to start looking Bef- before we before we reach the end the end game of yeah, the current methodology. It is absolutely time to start asking questions, especially when you see huge variance in in data collected in basically the same way by two different sources. I mean, we've mm-hmm. got a we've got a, a variance of thirty million. So I've tell got to me, figure tell this me more out. about that. Um, so our data, the Physical Activity Council data, indicates that there are about about twenty million target shooters in twenty twenty two, and that yeah. includes rifle and handgun. The the NORC data suggests that there are fifty million target shooters. Ooh, that's a lot. That's yep. a big difference. Yep. And so I was just I was just talking to them about you know what could explain those that that giant variance. And the other the other the other really weird thing about it is that our wildlife viewing data, our hunting data, yeah, our 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 archery data. All, you know, it all matches up. It's like within the margin of error, both studies. It's just mm-hmm. the target shooting data. So this is, I mean, this is where, as a researcher, this is where you have to earn your money. Because yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm going to get to the bottom of, of that variance. And I'm, I don't think that, I don't think that either, either survey is, is giving us a completely accurate number, obviously. Right. I'm mm-hmm. guessing that it's somewhere in between because that's just how we roll, right? There's a distribution and everything. If I yeah, don't yeah. know the answer, I'm just going to go with the mean. Right. That's just a cheat. There's a cheat. Sure. It's like, it's like yeah. straight lining. It's like straight lining your SAT test by just marking C on everything. <laughs> but, but I think, I think what this did is it uncovered, it uncovered a flaw that I think is very specific to shooting sports. But, but it's just, it's, it's an indication that it is time. It is time to start looking at this and examining it, figuring out what we need to do to tweak it. Right to make it more accurate over the next couple of years, and at the same time start exploring the possibility of using a, a new methodology. Uh, maybe yeah. it's something something that we haven't thought. Of. Nobody, nobody I've talked to, and I've talked to a lot of of researchers. And I've talked to virtually every researcher in in physical activity. You know, I've talked to researchers at OSU, at at University of Chicago, at Census. N- nobody's got the answer. Or at least nobody's willing to give it to me. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> they I would totally shamelessly steal it and run around using it. And I would, <laughs> I, I swear, I would totally tell give credit the dozens to of podcast listeners about it too. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, maybe we can spend a few minutes talking about what the different methodologies are, right? Like we we've sort of spoken in generalities, but there's a few that are coming to mind. What when you say critique our current methodologies and suggest something new should suggest a change. Um, mm-hmm. Let's go through, you know, like what, what exists now. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Um, so the physical activity council formed in 2007 with a bunch of different trade associations, including outdoor snow sports, sports and fitness, health and racket, USA football, golf, tennis, skate, surf. We all got together and said, let's spend our money to try and get a comprehensive survey done where we can get crossover information on 117 different activities, including basically all physical activities and a couple that aren't quite physical, (laughs) but still count as, you know, you're moving while you do it. So we include them. Uh, So we're, our methodologies is, can be explained this way. We use a panel. So you can go and join one of these survey panels and get paid in various ways to take surveys. 
Mm-hmm. Most surveys that are long use this methodology because it's very difficult to get people randomly to take surveys. Yeah. You know, the, that that is why the panel methodology is a, prefer, is a preferred methodology, not because it's better. It's just, it's a, it's a good, it's a, it's an easy way to find people that are willing to take your 45 minute survey. So it's we, not 45 we, minutes. It's not, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty close. No way. Yeah. Man, that's a lot. Have you, you, haven't you ever taken it? Uh, no, I, I guess I haven't taken the whole thing. Dude. I just look at my categories because, because no. people for bikes is now a member of the physical activity council too. Um, no. I, I, we talked about the founding members. I didn't want to let it get by that PFB was a current member. We, we've been a member for a few years now. Um, yeah. 45 minutes. Wow, that's a long time. Anyway, get, yeah. I, I interrupted you. You need to go take the survey. I'm going to shame you a little bit. Go take that survey. Yeah, that's fine. So so what we do is, is we try and get a balanced sample. You know, so we're collecting data from across all 50 states. And it's, you know, it's a probability-based panel. So the idea is that you're you're trying to collect from a sample that would be representative of the population each of those places. And I think, you know, one of the things that we're not doing is, is very strict quotas in each state because we're not paying for that. So we're getting strict quotas for the, for the entire U.S. That, mm-hmm. that, you know, we're hoping that the, the 18,000, and it's built so that we're, we're collecting data from 18,000 people that uh, represent what amounts to a normal distribution of the U.S. population in terms of demographics, and that includes age, ethnicity, education, income, geographic location, et cetera. Um, what we don't do is we don't target based on any behavioral traits, right? So sure. we're not targeting basis based on conservative liberal. I mean, it's basically just using um, strict census data to build a just distribution that mirrors the normal distribution of the population of the United States in terms of age, ethnicity, gender, education, income, it's, and et cetera. So collecting those 18,000, it's a quota. We collect 18,000 mm-hmm. every year. We collect, a, we collect um, a specific number every month. And we put that data together at the end of the year and show participation over 117 different activities. I mean, I, I own the outdoor data, so I've got 47 outdoor categories. Plus, I share snow sports with snow sports, um, although I can only report top line on those. You get yeah. bike. SFIA gets. I think they've got something like sixty categories that they're looking yeah, at, including every like every team sport, et cetera. And they co-own mm-hmm. several of our categories too. Our golf team, is yeah. golf, tennis, tennis. So you know, et cetera. But the sample is from a panel. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. I mean, methodologically sound in that we do we do take pains to make sure that the that the panel members. Um, that we're collecting survey data from accurately represent the U.S. population. And, uh, but, you know, if there are problems in it that include, you know, is there liberal bias? Is there conservative bias? Are there too many women? Um, are, is there a specific bias in some group that's just getting paid to do surveys all day? I mean, are we talking yeah. to people that aren't employed? Are we, who are we actually talking to that, that, you know, concerns me? But our methodology is sound in the sense that this is pretty much how survey research is done. I mean, there's a there's talk about okay, is it online? It, you know, is it, what are you doing to validate responses? You know, are you looking for straight lining? Are you looking for dupes? What, what are you looking for to make sure that your data is clean in the first place? And you know, how are you building your sample in in a variety of different categories if you're not considering um, behavioral traits as as bias in your response? 
So yeah, you know, we, it's, it's a sound methodology. I can defend the methodology all day long. I know how they get the data, but you know, we've got a lot of changes in society and in the way that people interact with companies that are trying to get information from them. Um, And, and I think it's, it's just time to take our valid methodology and really just, you know, let's, let's deconstruct, let's, let's, you know, really do an audit to find out if, if at this point, 16 years in, it's time, it really is time to think about, about um, developing a new method uh, that gives us more accurate results, especially at state levels, especially in activities that are smaller. Yeah, you know, maybe yeah. we can reduce the mar- margin of error on things like adventure racing and ice climbing, cross country ski. So it's yeah, it's this is just a time to to really think about our methodology. Is it and and ask really serious questions about it. That said, it's a it's this is a a well established methodology that has been peer reviewed. And has been providing us with relatively clean results for really the past 16 years. Um, when, but when there are variances in the data, like 30 million people, um, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start asking questions, and that's appropriate. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So talk about some other methodologies, Patrick. I've done a lot of talking today. Talk about. No, that's, that's to- perfect. Maybe it's worth just mentioning that that I think most of our conversation has been about online surveys, right? And, and that's a particular type of study. There's also um, phone surveys, which the census has conducted for decades and decades and decades, and, and like mailer surveys just within the survey research realm. In addition to that, like, you know, there's there's other ways to figure out how many people are doing an activity beyond surveys. I mean, I've thought about this. Um, social media scraping could be a methodology that we could use. Mm, yeah. Uh, Right. I mean, we could use what we could do is do a grassroots, you know, ground up survey or, or research where we're measuring participation at the local level. Like, you know, we're looking at at measuring actual participation in, in various parks, playgrounds. We could sample that, look at look at whether or not that's providing us with even more insights than actually just doing a survey, looking at it that mm-hmm. way. So sort of ground up social media scraping, which is has its yeah. own problems. Right. Um, and I'm kind of at this point, like, I know there's gotta be a, a, some great ideas out there and I'm, I'm begging people to call me with their ideas on how, yeah. how to, how to get an accurate view of participation that's, that, that they think will result in more accurate data than what we're getting now. I'm, I'm trying to crack the, um, the ride tracker app nut, you know, like yeah. there's so much data out there. How can we unlock these d- different apps, one one in particular, that the majority of of cyclists who ride for recreation, I think, um, the majority of cyclists are using to like track their miles, compete with their friends. I uh, there there's a neighbor down the street. And he and I ride a whole bunch. I never met the guy, but like every every couple of days, Strava will tell me, "Oh, your neighbor rode this track more or with this segment more than you. You got to get on your bike." Like, oh, Talk on it. All right, I'm gonna get out on my bike. I, I got to like reclaim my title as most segments ridden in this little stretch between this this creek and the the next milestone. Um I, I think there's a lot of potential for apps like that in, in a lot of activities, right? Like you and I have talked about um maps that that are like linked to private and public land so that those that are doing backcountry activities like hunting or camping or whatever. Um, they can make sure they're participating in the right locations. It's like, oh man, what what can we learn from some of those apps about um, 
participation and where activities are happening and how folks are are doing their activities. That's that's the um, the frontier for me. It is, and you know something else is going on. We're talking about measuring at the local level, doing things like geofencing and and measuring cell phone activity or just monitoring that. It makes people a little uncomfortable, but I mean that gives us a, an interesting look at at participation. Like in specific locations, I mean, you can see where people are going, how long they're spending mm-hmm. in certain places. I mean, yeah, it's a red dot on a screen, but I mean that that helps um, park managers or trail managers understand where you know where they're going to have the heaviest use, or you know where people are are consuming the activity in a way they didn't expect. Right, yeah. that happens. That's why I'm really interested in that local level participation data because I want to know more about how people are consuming outdoor recreation. I don't know yeah. where they're doing it. And I, I want to know all the things that they're they're doing with it, you know, and and you know what activities sort of naturally cluster together for people. And I mean that's important when you're thinking about things like you know product mix at a retail shop. You know what oh, people yeah. really need for things. You know what's the difference between a new participant and a, and a, a core participant in terms of their buying behavior and how they participate, how they consume. So I'm super interested in that. Um, Cell phone data, that's a possibility. What do you think mm. about using that? I don't know. I, I haven't looked into that beyond beyond the apps, but um, you know, there's there's a lot of information on that little phone that we carry everywhere. Oh. Everywhere, no. dude. I wish I didn't, but I do. And I'd be willing to bet that most everyone else does too. They just have their phone with them at all times, right? Yeah. I'm not gonna yep. go to the next room without it. I feel weird. <laughs> yeah. I've got I've got chargers all over my house, and so I do. and I'm an outdoorsy person, you know. Like I'm not I'm not someone who is on my phone all the time, scrolling through social media apps or like watching stuff. Like I I'm outside, but when I'm outside, I'm logging my miles on my phone, either through Strava or RideSpot or whatever. Or if I'm running, yeah. I'm using Map My Ride or something. One of the variables that I included in my master's thesis years and years ago. Um, I was looking at the difference between resident and non-resident elk hunters in Colorado and their preferences for particular tags, which are tied to a season, like a, a set of dates, a location, and the sex of the animal. And, and there's a lot of different variables that went into like this spatial data, this spatial economic analysis. Um, it has to do with like proximity to some of these major cities. Like non-residents are more likely to to stay closer to some of these major cities and residents that live in some of these remote areas are going to hunt in those like super remote areas. Uh, but I, I read this study and I ended up using some of these data in my final model. Um, distance traveled from a road for a successful harvest, right? And, and they analyzed the difference between the reported distance from the road. And these hunters are like, I definitely hiked five miles it was uphill both ways, you know, like, but, but really like they reported that they hiked miles and miles in and then they had GPS trackers on them and they're like, no, buddy, that was three quarters of a mile. It might've been a tough three quarters of a mile, but it was definitely not five miles. And, and so as we wrap up this conversation about how we measure participation, anything we can do to get closer to that actual three quarters of a mile measurement instead of that five miles self-reporting is going to help us all be better at our jobs, whether we're trying to create effective legislation and policies for outdoor rec participants, or if we're trying to curate our uh, local retail shop with the products they need to hike three and a half miles comfortably and have it not feel like five miles, you know? Yeah. I mean, we, we could talk about the difference between behavioral data and self-report data. 
Yeah. Forever. I mean, let me tell you, male skiers tend to think they're experts after just skiing once. I'll just leave it at that. (laughs) But (laughs) that's true. Unfortunately, I I I think I've seen those guys on the slopes. (laughs) I know. I I had, I'll I'll tell that story some other time. Because honestly, the reason that we don't talk about methodology like this very often is that it's kind of boring to a lot of people. And I want to put this offer out to anybody in the outdoor industry that that is actually curious about how we measure participation or, you know, thinks that that our data is bullshit or thinks that some other data is bullshit. Please give us a call. I mean, I, I'm, I will openly yeah. and objectively discuss this. And if you've got an idea, call us. If, you know, if, yeah, if, absolutely. if I, I want to engage the entire industry in this conversation about, you know, what we know and what our biases are and how people are consuming the experience. I think that there is a massive opportunity here to say that outdoor recreation, I think this is true, and the and the research play like really, you know, proves this out about physical and mental health that yeah. out outdoor recreation and and you know, bike definitely offers a place of hope, of freedom, of expression, um, of lightness, of of love, like a real yeah. contrast to the world that they're experiencing day to day today. Thanks for listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association. We'll see you next time.